0: Welcome to the Hand Down Man Down Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Hand Down Man Down Podcast. It's your boy, Danny. Back at it again for another episode this week. And this week we have a very special guest on the call, on the show for you today. We have Rob Sani of the Five x Five networkcom What's going on, Rob? Danny, what's going on? Happy to be
1: here. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Hey, no problem, man. I I followed you guys a lot, so I wanted to see if we can get you guys on the show. And it was it was good that we was able to set this up because I know you we do a lot of talking back and forth on Twitter. So it was good to get you to get you on the show, and that way we can get a good more emphasized basketball talk conversation on this episode today. So thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah man, it's uh, all about networking and helping each other out on Twitter and uh finding good people to network with, right?
0: Yeah, most most definitely, you know, especially when you just you have good basketball talk. and That's hopefully what we can give you guys today on this episode. Uh for starters, I mean, just to start things off, if you, if you were under a rock or if you didn't get a chance to stay up last night, you missed a great game in the first game of the NBA Finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors with some big time, you know, missed basketball IQ moments last night in regards to Jr. Smith. I mean, I don't know what not sure what he was thinking at the moment, but it seems like from what he gave his explanation on, he seemed like he figured they were up one they or have. they were up. <laughs> or they were, like, maybe trying to dribble the clock out and call a timeout. At least that's what he was trying to word out when he was trying to give his information to the guys after the game. Yes, yeah, so that was that was just something you don't see. I mean,
1: you see it sometimes maybe in a regular season NBA game or, like, a team that's not as talented. I can't remember a time in the NBA Finals where we had a guy in the – I mean, what's crazy about the whole thing, Danny, is there was a stoppage of play before the play, right? So. It's not like, you know, you're in transition, you're going back and forth, you know, you're running, you know, you you lose track. Like, you're just standing there waiting to get the rebound. Like, it doesn't occur to you to look up at the scoreboard at all. And so that was, like, the most mind-blowing thing for me. And, like, I have never played basketball at a high level, but I've never not checked the scoreboard when shooting foul shots, you know? Like, it just seems pretty simple. What what are your thoughts on uh, after a stoppage of play – gif like that
0: I mean normally and and I I mean I did some college basketball some semi professional basketball and the one thing I know I was always doing in the game was looking up at the scoreboard to see score how much time we had left shot clock I I you had to keep a track of all those things but it seemed like he just had a a lapse of judgment and even when even when he had the stoppage of play even when you're at the free throw line, you still have to be mindful of what's going on around you, especially up in especially up at the clock. I mean, you know that much. You had that much time left. You got the ball back for a rebound. You're able to turn around and get it up for a, at least a layup. You don't take the ball out of the paint and dribble to the three point line. That's unheard of to me. Yeah, it really is unheard of. And
1: the thing that I mean, obviously the action was not good, but then to double down in the press conference and say you knew what the score was when there's pretty clear video evidence. I forget what the, his exact wording, but you can look on Twitter. It's all over the place where he just like, I, he said to LeBron, I thought we were up one. And so to double down in the press conference, started it like a very J.R. Smith thing. Like, come on, man, just own it. You messed up. Move on. But yeah, that was wild. And even George Hill, who's, you know, a notoriously pretty high free throw shooter to miss, That free throw, it was just a mess for Cleveland. And I was sitting there watching the game, Danny, and I was like, you know what? Cleveland's kind of starting to finally play decent defense. The Warriors don't seem as engaged. They seem kind of lazy. And I was like, man, this this would be huge if they steal this game because game one in Golden State, this is going to be such an uphill battle as it is. I mean, if you looked at the Vegas odds before this series started, I mean, they they gave the Cavs no shot. So I was watching, I was like, man, they can really steal this. And I, honestly, Danny, I think they had to. And because they didn't, I, it might get ugly. It's, it's kind of like the old waking the bear. You might see Golden State just really blow the doors off of them in game two.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking that's going to happen too. Even even with a Zeus, Herculean-type effort from LeBron for the rest of the series, I, I don't think it's going to be enough after this. You had a chance to steal Game one in Oakland last night. I mean, you brought it up. Vegas had them, gave them no shot, and in that game last night, they were, I think they were a thirteen point underdog last night. And you can yeah, look depending at it where you got your odds, right? And then when, and then when you, and then when you look at it, you know, I was looking, I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. You know, you never, you never really see Golden State, but even then. Steve Kerr has mentioned this during the during the regular season and even in the past. You know, his this team gets a little bit disinterested. They become less engaged in games because they it seems like they're so confident in themselves. And I get it, but that can come back and bite you, especially in in the, you know, the NBA finals with a with a with a team that has a player like in LeBron James who last night was was unbelievable. I mean, if you're not a fan of LeBron James, after seeing him in these playoffs and that finals last night you're not a fan of basketball i i just don't get it yeah so the particular which is strange when you look at it
1: of how this game got to where it was it was really the offensive glass where cleveland dominated uh as per cleaning the glass they had a 39.9 percent offensive rebound rate which is the 97th percentile of all games this year so that's that's where it was done. It was on the glass, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love being active. But, like, what scares me, Danny, is when I look at the other numbers, Golden State was 58.3 effective field goal percentage, which was 82nd percentile, and Cleveland was 49.5%, which was 36th percentile, obviously not that good. And yet, like, it was still a close game where Golden State actually shot the ball well. The only stat that really tells the story is the offensive rebounding and I don't know if they can do that every game because, like you said, they were like disengaged. And what's frustrating about the Warriors is kind of what was frustrating about the Cavaliers last year, where you have this team that's so talented, and they're at the they're at the apex of the league, you know, the NBA Finals, and yet you still can't get up for the game. Like it's still like, eh, whatever. As as NBA fans, I know you and I, it drives us nuts. It's it's so frustrating to see someone that good just not try at that. You know at that um at that point in the season it's like what what else do you need to get up for these games you know
0: yeah i I definitely agree that like, that doesn't make sense to me you have you literally have in in steph and and kevin Durant two of maybe the top two of the maybe top ten best players in the world on your team, and the fact that you're playing against a team that literally only has one player who can really get the job done in LeBron James, and then he has a maybe, if not serviceable, supporting cast, you should be up for this game. This is Like you said, this is the apex. This is it. After this, the season is over. There's nothing left. You have to get up for these games, and you cannot wait until the third quarter, like they did in the Western Conference Finals, which me me and you pointed out, you know, that was always their quarter in that last series. You can't do that in this series because this is it. You can't wait. This is this is something where you start from start to finish.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And to your point earlier when you talked about if you're not a LeBron fan before this, you should be now. LeBron has taken, I think Tom Habistro tweeted it out. Uh, LeBron James has taken 230-some-odd shots this postseason for the Cavaliers. Number two on that list for shot attempts is Kevin Love with 94. So he's literally doing everything. And as frustrating as the Warriors are and as frustrating as the Cavaliers used to be, we go into every night and we're spoiled. LeBron brings it every night, and it's insane. It's literally insane. And like you said, you can't take your foot off the gas because this behemoth of a player in LeBron James, is, he's showing up he's not taking finals days off or he's not, there's no, there's no the typical LeBron James feel out game. Like it's coming. And it was just really frustrating because you see an effort like that and you just wish it was rewarded with a W because he deserved the win last night, not golden state. And so just really frustrating for me as a, as a fan and as someone that covers the league to see that narrative, not play out.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's just weird to me. I mean, LeBron, like, like we said, LeBron, it was noted earlier today, and I saw and I saw the stat going into last night. LeBron put up 51. He's the only – he's the sixth player in NBA history to score 51, 50 points in an NBA Finals game, but he's the only one to lose. Like, that that's, that's is – That's insane. That's insane to me. You put up 50 points in the NBA Finals and you lose, and he's the only one to do it. Now, mind you, again, this is the second time he put up 48 minutes in a full basketball game. Um that's his first loss playing 48 minutes of basketball. Remember before this he was 5 and 0. And every time he played, you know, 48 minutes in a basketball game and now this is his first loss. So he took two big blows last night. But again, and I looked down the stat line and you know Kevin like like you mentioned it already. Kevin Love gave a service game. He had 21 and 13, but after that, I mean everyone else gave either semi-pedestrian stats that aren't really enough, but who surprised me enough, who, probably who I think should get more playing time, is Larry Nance Jr. Larry Nance Jr. was on a tear to start the game off, and it was beautiful to see because, you know, you were waiting for somebody like him and Jordan Clarkson to have a to have a marquee game to step up to perform for this Cavs, and it was good to see him do it in the NBA Finals now. Yeah, I mean,
1: it was nice to see that. And one other uh, roster adjustment I would like to see made, and I have been on this island all year. I'll die on this island. I love this guy. Uh, instead of Jordan Clarkson being in for 17 minutes and taking every shot and not moving the ball, and just he was horrible last night, uh, to to replace his minutes, give me Jetty Oseman. I love Jetty Oseman. Mm. Oseman's a six eight guy out of Turkey. If you follow him on social media, I don't think there's a guy that likes being in the NBA more than Jetty Osmond. Like he, or Jedi Osmond, I'm sorry. He loves basketball. I looked at all the game, all the big shots LeBron James hits. If you go back and look at all the films of him hitting these big shots against Toronto or Indiana or whatever, the first guy LeBron James is running into is, is Jetty's arms and he's a gritty guy. He is going to try hundred percent of the time. He's not going to stop the ball from moving and he can kind of switch a little bit. He's not the super athlete, but he's respectable. And so to have him switching in some of those lineups, that's something that I've been like knocking the door down on Twitter. Anyone who asks me about this series, like, what can the Cavs do? I'm like, dust off Jetty Osmond. So what are your thoughts on Jetty Osmond and maybe getting him some minutes?
0: I'm actually not mad at that statement when you think about it, because Jetty Osmond was – It's him. He's, like you said, he's 6'8". He's good enough to the point where you can make these switches on your defensive rotations. He's serviceable enough where you can knock down the he can knock down shots on his own. It seems like I think he can create his own shot pretty much very well. In the likes of maybe LeBron and and you know if Rod and and maybe I don't know I don't know how you feel about this, but do you think it's time that they start looking at Rodney Hood and giving him some more minutes?
1: Yeah, so Rodney Hood's an interesting case. Obviously came over down the trade deadline deal for Jay Crowder and that whole thing. Rodney Hood hasn't been good, and I don't know. Like, this is just something that I think. If you're not using Rodney Hood or you you don't like him in practice and stuff, then don't play him. I get that. But I don't know. This is total uh, speculation. I don't have any hard facts on it. But I don't know. It seems like Rodney Hood might be, like, a little in his head mentally because he was, re- he was pretty good with Utah, and you would totally say, like, oh, if Cleveland got a 6'8 wing who's like a six man and can uh, create for himself a little bit, that'd, you'd think that'd be something they'd, they'd totally want. But yet they haven't played him. I'd be interested, either Hood or Osman, I'd be interested to see put into the rotation. Either or, just change it up, do something. Jordan Clarkson is so bad. Like you just can't play it. It's so hard to play players like Jordan Clarkson against the Warriors. So, yeah, Osman, Hood, let me see both of it. Let me see. Either of them, but just don't
0: let me see Jordan Clarkson anymore. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you, Jordan. And and I thought I would never say that about Jordan Clarkson because when he was with the Lakers, he was putting up decent numbers. And it's just weird for him. It's weird for me to see him almost take a step back when he's when he got traded to Cleveland in that deal for Isaiah Thomas. Than the trade deadline, it's it's baffling to me, and I just don't understand it. But. I mean, we can talk about the Cavaliers all day long. I mean, you look at the Warriors. We mentioned it before. They seemed disengaged. They seemed out of it, you know, at the start of the game. And I don't see why Kevin Durant can't seem to get his feet going right now. I mean, yeah, he had – what did he have last night? He had had 26 points. But he was eight of 22 from the floor and one of seven from the, from the three-point line. Most times you look at the awards and you say, that's a loss for them because Kevin Durant could not buy a basket last night. Yeah, and that's, that's another thing.
1: And Steve Kerr's mentioned it numerous times. It's like, when you want to see the results of a Warrior game, look at the box score, look at the threes, and look at the turnovers and stuff. They only turned it over seven times. So if you would have told me, Golden State only turns the ball over, you know, seven times, I would have thought it would have been a definite win. But I think the word that you and I would use most is they were just lethargic. Like it was yeah. like Steve Kerr had to pull teeth to get them engaged. And like we said, I mean, you could talk about it to your blue in the face. Like it's the NBA finals. Come on. Like this is, this is the, the highest level that your job will ever be at. Like this is the biggest stage. And what's even worse is they're at home. And so the home crowd has to see this So it stinks. Um, I I don't have a dog in this fight, but after watching that game, I really wanted Cleveland to win. I thought, like, I, I think Golden State's going to come out, and we both agree on that, but it's almost like Ryan Rosillo had a great point on his podcast, and it was hilarious, and I suggest you guys go listen to it, but he compared the Warriors to the guy that's really, really good-looking and always cheats on his girlfriend because he knows it doesn't matter. He's, she'll still be his girlfriend. and he, he actually recorded that before that this game, but I totally felt that about this game. It's like the Warriors, like, you know what? We don't have to show up. We're that much better. And it got close, and it was really close to being a Cleveland win if it wasn't for JR. And yet it's like, yeah, they still won, and they played like shit, you know? So that that was so frustrating to me.
0: That is very frustrating. And I'm perfectly in 100% agreement with you on that. Because even when you look at it, even with that last late. That last late game shuffle with, you know, Draymond and Tristan towards the end, you know, I was kind of with Tristan on this. And when you think about it, when Sean Levison took that shot, it's literally an unwritten rule. You don't take that shot. So my next point of emphasis is this. Do you think Tristan Thompson will be suspended for game two?
1: Um, no, I don't I don't think they're going to suspend him. I think if the league was in a different point in time, maybe he would have. But the way Adam Silver conducts stuff, I don't think he's going to be suspended. I don't think he should be. And quite frankly, I don't ever want to see anyone suspended from a finals game ever again unless, like, it's completely ridiculous because I'm so sick and tired of both sides being like, oh, we would have won the title if Draymond wasn't suspended or Cleveland being like, oh, well, he was, you know, he broke the rules. He should be suspended. I just, in the finals, just give us all the best players. The NBA, don't take anyone out of the rotation. Don't take anyone out of the lineup. Just let them play. Let's find out who the best team is. I don't think he'll be suspended. I hope he's not suspended, but do you think he should be?
0: No, not at all, because, in it's, I'm with you. I don't want to see guys suspended from the NBA Finals of all series to get suspended from. I mean, you can look at it and say, oh, but it's a suspendable offense. But in reality, it isn't only because it wasn't no real serious altercation. You know, they de-escalated it immediately. Um, But no, I don't think he should be suspended. I don't think he's going to be suspended. And if he is, I'd be shocked. I'd be very, very shocked and surprised.
1: And that's another aspect of this game that we could get into is the whole Kevin Love being on the court, and now he should be suspended. Like, no. He should not be suspended. There's an altercation. He took, like, two or three steps on the court before an assistant coach ripped him back. That shouldn't be, you know, that shouldn't be a suspension. And we could just talk about that rule in general if you want. Can we just have some common sense? Like, I get it. The malice in the palace, that cannot happen. Like, that's Obviously the worst, but we've seen guys now like Kevin Love last night or earlier in the year, CJ McCollum, where they just like nonchalant take a step on the court and they get suspended. And to go back to what we were talking about, you know, taking suspended players out of these series. This goes all the way back to the Phoenix days when Amari Stoudemire was suspended for, I think, game six against San Antonio.
0: So, what are yeah. your thoughts on
1: that rule? And if you think uh, Kevin Love should be suspended? Because I think in no universe he should be, because that's ridiculous.
0: Well, no, I I don't think he should should be suspended. It's already been it's already been reported he won't be suspended for for game two, and even if he was, I don't think he should be suspended. Even if they were thinking about it, I don't think he should be suspended. And in terms, I don't think that rule should be in effect at all. I can see because you don't know what's gonna happen in in the midst of a game, like. The player might be coming out to maybe de-escalate the situation. You never know what can happen, and I and I'm with you. I get it. You don't want another malice in the palace incident. You don't want you know incidents where you see guys running on the court and starting more trouble. But in the sense of those three examples you gave, I think that rule should be changed. I think it needs to be struck in from the record, whatever you want to call it. Just get rid of it. Just absolutely. Yeah. Get rid
1: i I think, like to your point of getting rid of it, it's not that hard to say if you step on the court with a malicious attempt, then you're suspended like that's pretty that's pretty black and white, like what Kevin Love did, what McCollum did, like all these incidents, there was no malicious attempt it was just, there was just there's limited amount of room on the- on the sidelines of n b a games, which is what makes the experience so great for fans and they can be right up on it, but these guys are like six ten seven feet tall, these are huge guys. There's not a lot of room on that sideline, so if they just happen across the line, like, what are we really talking about? It doesn't do anything, you know. So I'm in complete agreement agreement with you. It's it's either got to be gone completely or adjusted by using just a little bit of common sense.
0: It's and uh, again, I'm in total agreement with you. And and again, I I get it. I'm six seven. There was never enough room on those benches for. You know, for guys like us to just stand and watch, like we want to be engaged. So, I mean, I've been in gyms where, you know, the the bat the bench is so close to the sideline that you can't help but step on the basketball court. It's it's hard. And in and in terms of just Kevin Durant and and not even Kevin Durant, Kevin Love, and it's in terms of that rule. I mean, I'm glad he's not getting suspended for Game Two. But it needs it needs to be adjusted. You know, there are certain situations where that may happen, like Kevin Love, like C.J. McCollum, even like Larry Stoudemire, for that matter. You know, incidents like that will happen. It's time to adjust that rule in a, in any way, shape, or form to 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 make this happen. I mean, because we're 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 getting we're trying to get a good series here, and you taking taking away somebody like Kevin Love. Is going to be backbreaking for this series. Yeah, I'm in
1: total agreement. So, do you have any keys for the listeners, to like game two or what you're looking at or a stat that popped out to you or a rotational? Like we obviously mentioned the Osmond and Hood stuff. What are you looking for in game two to change for either Cleveland or Golden State?
0: The main thing for me is I'm looking for a Golden State to not come out lethargic. I mean, you're you're playing against a team who you are ten times better than. So stop acting like you know this is just any old team you're gonna beat. Now, granted, this this is Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland had had made some good adjustments going into this game. They had a good mindset. I think they should stay with that mindset they had in game one. The only thing that I'm gonna need them to do a little bit better is to maintain the basketball. They had twelve turnovers and Golden State. Um, took advantage that it had 14 points off turnovers last night, but also Cleveland has to find a way to get back in transition. The point, the the point differential from fast break points was 28 to 18, Golden State, and that's how Golden State lives in basketball games. They live in transition outside of running in the half court. Um, that's my main thing is to see if they can not if they can slow down the transition of Golden State for a, just for just for a second. And then at the same time, I look for Golden State to be more aggressive on the glass. Um, like We mentioned it earlier. Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson were feasting in the paint on offensive rebounds. I think if you look at their total numbers, they had 19 offensive rebounds last night, and Golden State got out-rebounded 64-42. to That can't happen. Yes. In, that can't happen in game two. It cannot. Because if that happens in game two, and LeBron and Kevin Love and other guys step up and have a game like they did in game one, Golden State's going to be – this series is going to be tied 1-1. So that's that's just my main thing. I look for Cleveland to keep the same game plan, make, a, make small adjustments here and there to get back on defense and stop the defense and stop the uh, transition offense of Golden State. And then I look for Golden State to do a better job rebounding the basketball and not come out lethargic in game two. Those are my those are my big keys for game two for those two teams. What about you? What do you think what are you looking for in game two?
1: So from the Cleveland perspective, you lost this game. It was a pretty close game. Uh the Golden State Warriors outshot you by ten percent from three and they shot ninety five percent from the line. So the three point percentage is probably pretty real and might actually get better, but maybe they can have a little regression to the mean from the free throw line, although they do have two of the best, you know, free throw shooters in Curry and Durant. But if you're Cleveland, like those, you know, have them, you know, not shoot 95 from the line, keep them at around 36%, and don't shoot 27% from three. So, if with that being said, I will say this if Golden State's locked in, Cleveland doesn't have a chance. If Golden State isn't locked in, Cleveland needs to find J.R. Smith. I don't know where he is. I don't know if they put him on Alcatraz when they were out in the bay. Like, I don't know where J.R. Smith is, but I'd like to find him. I'd like him to have a game where, you know, he goes, like, four or seven from three, and it's just reliable. And then, like I said, they're going to need the role players to step up. Whether we see a change in rotation, I'm not sure. But what, what I took away from game one, honestly, is that if Golden State doesn't try, Cleveland actually can win this series. Like, they actually can because they do try so damn hard. And LeBron James is just insane, like, best player in the world. It's not even close. So, if Golden State shows up, yeah, they, they can win, they can sweep this series. But if they don't, Cleveland's almost – it reminds me of two years ago where they're just kind of like this junkyard dog team that's going to muck it up a little bit, and they're going to bring it every night. So that's what I look for. Like I said, if Golden State comes out hot and plays a whole game, Cleveland doesn't have a shot. But if, if you see Golden State looking lethargic and un, 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 unamused with the action, Cleveland can totally win these games. So that's what I'm looking for going into game two more than anything.
0: I'm in total agreement with that, and I can't wait. Game two is this Sunday, I think. I think if I'm not mistaken, start time should be around. Um, yeah, it should 8 be p. M. around. Eight, yeah, it's eight p.m. on Sunday on ABC. So if you guys want to stay tuned for that, just be ready for it because it's going to be another. It's going to be another good game, in my opinion. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I expect something to happen. Um, yeah. Outside of that, I mean, the next thing that I want to get into, and it was something that happened a couple weeks ago, but we didn't get quite a chance to dive into it. As, As you all know, the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of Murphy in the Murphy versus the NCAA Supreme Court case, where they have now made sports gambling legal in the United States. And when you think about it, it's going to have a huge impact on the sport of basketball. You know, Adam Silver has been a proponent of making sports gambling legal. He's been he's been at this at this bat for maybe three to four, maybe three, two to three years now. And I just want to hear your thoughts on this, because I think this is going to be a huge win for basketball at this point.
1: Yeah, Danny, so I've looked at this, and it's going to take people smarter than me, or it's just going to take me a really long time. And I'm not sure how these numbers are going to go, but the way I think of this and the way the, the elephant in the room, and I don't know if there's going to be enough money off of this, but if they're gaining revenue from this betting thing, depending on how much it is, I have no idea. Like I said, smarter men than me will, can go into this. Like I, like Danny LaRue, probably could. But are we going to see a big cap influx like we did two years ago? Like, once this gambling money comes in, is it enough to where they have to have the conversation about smoothing the cap, which the players opted out the, the last CBA, or is it just going to be a big cap spike? And I mentioned that, Danny, just because we're seeing two super teams kind of form in the East in Boston and Philly, and I don't know if the timetable would be the same, but that's the only reason Golden State has Kevin Durant, is because of that major cap spike. So this could be massive in the sense that, Maybe in two to three years from now, you get a massive cap spike. You have Boston and Philly and even Utah to a certain extent with these really good teams, and now they just have max cap space to add, you know, name your free agent in that year. So that's the avenue of what I've been looking at it more than anything. What have you been looking at it like?
0: I mean, I've been looking at it be at this way because in a, in a sense, I think that's going to be, again, you brought up a good point. It's going to be more income. There's already a provision in the in the in last year's new collective bargaining agreement where gambling proceeds will be included in basketball related income. So that's going to be huge. And in another sense, you got to look at it from this at this from this uh, standpoint, the NBA is going to benefit from it. But I think who will benefit from it a little bit more greatly now is the WNBA. Now, granted, you know, a lot of folks don't follow it. But now you got a now you got a sense where gambling is going to be legal. You got a sense where more more guy more fans really are going to want to gamble on some of these WNBA games, especially with you know the new team in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Aces. You know that generally is going to come into it. I mean, I read an article on Bleacher Report. And they got a quote from Jay Rude, who works for the who works I think he works for the uh, I forgot who he works for. I, I have to look that up eventually. But he said generally we don't have a big menu of women's sports, you know. Whereas the whereas WNBA is a fairly niche spot for wagering and tends to draw a lot of a lot of the sharks, which are pretty much professional gamblers. So that's where I think it's gonna be a, be a huge draw. For a lot of for a lot of these um this gambling in, income to come in, and then the other thing is, what do you think it's going to do for the NCAA in terms of basketball now that sports gambling is coming into effect?
1: Well, I'm actually really excited that you tailored that question that way because that was going to be where I go next. I was going to tell you as beneficial as it's going to be for the WNBA, it could be equally detrimental to the NCAA because now you have these kids on these scholarships which. Don't get me wrong. Scholarships are great. I understand that they're a privilege and everyone should be happy to have them. But when there's this much revenue being made in the NCAA, you got to pay some of these guys. Like you just have to, it's not right. And I'm a big proponent of paying the players because one, these guys are super athletes that have worked their whole lives for this Two, We see so many people come up from the inner city and it just delays them by a year of, you know, making generational money and changing their entire families, which is honestly that's like the American dream, right? So how does gambling play into all this? Maybe not the big guys, like your DeAndre Ayton's or your Jaron Jackson's who are probably getting some kind of money under the table. But, like, what about your fifth-year point guard on Wichita State who's never going to make it to the league? Like, is he going to start gambling on games because he can make a lot of money off it? I don't know. I don't – I mean – Humans, humans will always make mistakes, or humans will always chase the dollar, I should say. So that's just something they're going to have to monitor really closely. I don't know how you control that, but like you, as good as it could be for the WNBA, as far as profits and interest, I think it could be equally as bad for college basketball. And I was interested, because you said you played a little college hoops or something like that. Uh, what's your take on the whole thing?
0: I mean, I see it and I'm with you. I think it'll it can be detrimental for NCAA, for the NCAA. Um, the only real big enhancement I see it possibly having a positive effect on is the NCAA tournament. You know, around that time, the NCAA bought in, I believe it was about eight, eight point something million dollars from the NCAA tournament this past year. So can you imagine how much revenue they're going to bring in once they start bringing in more sport more sports gambling uh involved. Now granted the NCAA wants more federal regulations behind it, but we're going to definitely see you know what's going to happen because as a former college player, we all wondered how you know when were we going to get compensated. And I'm and I'm always been a proponent in giving some giving players those players, that extra benefit of compensation. Cause yes, a scholarship is good, but a scholarship is not enough for college basketball players. And even, you know, cause there were moments we were going around, we're like, okay, I have no money on my meal plan. Where am I going to get extra income from? And a lot of college basketball players can't call home and be like, Oh, I need this money. So this is going to be beneficial for a lot of guys. And it's going to be, and it's going to be good to see that. But then again, you brought up the detrimental part of it. What's going to happen with those, like you said, those fifth-year guys who are maybe fringe NBA players? What's going to happen to those guys who, you know, are on the bench most of the time? When are they, they going to start seeing some benefits and some sort of reward for what they're doing on the basketball court? It's it's going to be interesting to see. And I And I, I do believe we just had someone join in. Who is this on?
2: What's up, bro? It's Tim, what's up? What's up? Oh
0: man, what's going on, Tim? Rob, is done. That's, that's our other co-host. Uh, Rob,
2: that's Tim. Tim, what's going on? What's up, Rob? What's up, Rob? I'm uh, just uh, talking hoops here. Yeah, I hear. I heard everything. Um, you guys are touching bases on too. I agree with both. Sides. Yeah. What's your
0: What's your take on on sports game, especially when when it comes to college?
2: I mean, I think. The sports gambling, it should, like you said, it will maybe be detrimental to the team, to the players that aren't really seeing the time on the court and doing things. Everybody probably gambles some kind of way, like DraftKings, uh, FanDuel, any kind of sports gambling. But only to, to think about this is, like, it's it's broader now. It's more more ways to do it, more styles to do it. So, I mean, it it could help and it can hurt. So I'm just waiting to see when it pops off to see how it will help and how it will hurt. So that's all I really got to say about it.
0: That's all good. It's all good, man. But and but the other thing is and and I don't know how you how you guys might feel about it, especially in terms of that. Um Mark Cuban brought up a point where he feels like the values of his teams have doubled. Did you see that being the case now that sports gambling is legal?
2: That is double?
0: Yeah. He said he felt like the value of his team has doubled now that the fact that, you know, sports gambling is legal. And I don't know, I don't know what your take on this, Rob, but I think he might have a point.
1: Uh, he <laughs> might. I don't know about double. It's like, you know, the Clippers are yeah, like 2.3 double, yeah. billion. <laughs> like, I think, I think he's seen an uptick for sure. I don't know how much of a percentage. Um, I haven't looked at it, but off the top of my head, like, yeah, I could see a franchise being worth, like, maybe two or $300 million more. But double, I mean, I think that's crazy. What are your thoughts, Tim?
2: Yeah, I think double is a little too – maybe a little too much. That's maybe, yeah, just a little too much. But most of the franchises might take an increase on their value of the team just from the sports gambling. But double, yeah, that might be – we might be looking to that one. That's a little – yeah, a little steep saying double.
0: I mean, those. I'm with y'all. Those, but those, oh my, those were his exact words when he he spoke to uh he spoke to USA Today, I believe, when he said that. Maybe USA Today picked up the quote from CNBC, but this is the exact quote. He said, "I think everybody who owns a top four professional sports team just basically saw the value of their team double at least." And when I've read that, I was stuck. I was shocked. I was like. I don't know if it doubled, Mark. Maybe there's more. Um, maybe another, maybe another two hundred million, like you had mentioned already, Rob. But doubled? I don't think so. There's, there's no way that that can happen. We don't know what's going to be effect of the sports gambling because now you're in. Now you're bringing into the effect of maybe FanDuel, DraftKings, all of those, all of those. Uh, entities are going to start seeing more of an uptick now, and I'm just I'm just in there wondering what's going to happen with more as more and more progresses on because we haven't even seen what laws have come will be coming into effect for sports gambling yet. Right,
2: I know. Um, yeah I read cool. that they said um, Delaware is actually um picking up. Um, I know Dover is picking up one on Tuesday, like the um Vegas style betting where you can go in and bet on any single game rather than, like, I know when I was going up there to the bet football bets, you had to bet, like, the whole weekend, like the whole spreadsheet of the weekend, which game do. Like, each game, you had to pick a game. So, like, now you can go single style one game. So, like, it, it's going to take – it's going gonna, it's gonna to definitely change a lot. Like, I'm just waiting for it to pop off a lot, a lot of places so we can actually see the results of it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's probably going to be some ironing out they're going to have
1: to do. Obviously, there's going to be some wrinkles that they're not going to have figured out right away. But right, I mean, Mark Cuban's smarter than all of us. But I, I don't know the double sting. It still seems like a pretty hot take. So we'll we'll see what happens. But it is interesting. And I know myself personally. I've been able to bet online for a number of years now. I've used Bet DSI, and I've been able to place bets and stuff like that. But to be able to like go yeah, into your local gas station
2: and just bet—that's going to be pretty crazy. Yeah, like you and me both. Because I was just on Bovada. Um and I, I do DraftKings all the time, so like especially during football season. So yeah, you and me both. That would be crazy, like just to actually see like you walking in your local corner stores or gas and see like you be able to bet. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy times.
0: Well, that's one thing that sports gambling will be able to do. It's going to bring more of a focus on the game. Whether it be good for the professional leagues or maybe on the downswing for maybe college, but it's going to be good to see. It's going to be good to see what happens in the upcoming weeks or so. But as we get into it, especially with the upcoming weeks coming on, the draft is coming up, fellas, and that's on June twenty first. And hopefully, we can get something going for that. But the thing about it is, with everything that's been going on, I want to hear. I want to hear you guys' take on, especially you, Rob, because you've done a little bit more homework on the draft. On the draft prospects and not then say we have and we're going to do more of an in-depth looking at it as soon as we can but what's your take on luka Doncic might not be going into the nba next year
1: all right so luka Doncic. uh first of all i'd like to say check out our site the five by five dot com we got two guys that write for us mark wallin and zach uh god his last name's chasing me right now but um they do a ton of draft work, even more than I do. They're writing scouting reports on all these players, so please check that out. I started my draft study okay. process about three weeks ago. I love Luka Doncic, and my biggest thing is, what's the most valuable thing in the league right now? It's it's wing players. Like, there's not enough of them, and there's not enough talented ones. And so, Luka Doncic, he's six right. foot eight, he's 230 pounds, so he's like he's he's 19, so like he's not even a man yet, and he has these attributes. His one, his one, I guess, flaw that people say, he's not super athletic, but I've watched a lot of his tape, and he is so skilled, and not that he's Jason Tatum, because Tatum has been something crazy, and I don't think anyone should be compared to that at this point in the draft process, right. but, like, you're telling me I got a 6'8 skilled guy that can, that can run the point, like, what more do you want in today's NBA? And a guy like Aiton, he is insanely talented and a physical specimen, and just built like a man at age 19, his comp is, I, I well, my comp is kind of Carl Anthony Towns where he's unlimited offensively and defensively, he has issues. And so when you're building a team, and obviously the league changes all the time, but you have to build your team to be um, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics. That's going to be, that's going to be who's the next powerhouse in the league when your team's good. And so my issue with Aiton is, will, if his defense doesn't improve, teams like Boston and Philly could kind of play him off the court. Where like a guy like Donkic, I don't think you can. And he's just too smart, he's too skilled. I think everyone's overthinking it. I would take him number one. What do you think about the eight and Donkic uh debate, Tim?
2: Um, that I I mean myself personally, I want I would take and at one, just for the simple fact is that, like I was telling Danny I'm not. It's like I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the like. If the overseas players wants to come over, like if they're going into the draft this year, like come over because, like you just said, the only knock in his game you're saying is athleticism. So maybe he should come over, and get workouts like in the in the American, like in the NBA, and see how that will help him further on with athleticism and the things that he need to work on in his game because he's been playing overseas all this time. I don't think nothing over there can help him produce his game. More than what it's been doing. So for me, I would just take I, I would take Aiden over. I would take Aiden over him just because I know that Aiden's here now, ready to play. Like Luka Doncic could leave us on the limbo for two to three years, or however long the rule is for when he wants to come over and decide when he wants. So I would. Yeah, I, I would take Aiden.
1: <laughs> I, and I I understand that argument in the sense where he's kind of like a flight risk for some teams, like at the Kings of, right. reportedly or something like that. But I also do think what he's done in the League at his age has never been done. And the League, if Are anyone right, wants right, to debate, right. it, it's, right. not a, it's, it's not a debate. Like the EuroLeague is way harder than college basketball, and at least he's with professionals. And right, maybe right. he does have a little bit of lack of athleticism, but at least we've seen him play against grown men, where I know right. age he's a freak, but we still haven't seen that part yet.
2: Exactly, you're right. But to, but the way he was playing, he's he's maybe what a couple of summer workouts from being able to play with grown men. Like the way he was playing in Arizona was compared to grown men. Like the things he was doing. Like so, I yeah,
1: you know, I guess that. I wasn't
2: mind. I wasn't mind Luka Doncic getting drafted number one. But I would love to know that he's coming over. Like when I draft him, he's coming right over to be in my team plans. Because if he's not, it's like I'm still stuck on what I'm going to do for this year. Because if we do draft him. It's still like if we had two picks, it's still like we only had one because he's not even coming over next year, and then we won't even know if he's coming over the following year. So it's just like I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mind him going over one if I knew he was coming over this year. Danny, what you think?
0: Well, I'm, I'm with y'all, and and I looked at it from his perspective. I'm thinking maybe he is going to come over only because I think he was saying that when he mentioned that comment, it was brought up during the run of his team in the EuroLeague finals. How about? And that was like still um, like the
2: final four, right? Like it was like the yeah, final four was left so were, over and over, right? Okay, they right, were
0: still okay. they were still in the final four. So I don't in 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 the mind of a basketball player, we don't want to say things that's going to take our focus or our team's focus off what the greater goal is.
2: Okay. I still take that think that's a, loyal, a loyalty thing, a loyalty. Right. Okay. That's
0: what I that's okay. what I think it is, and I think honestly okay. he's going to come over. And I think he'll still be able to come over and produce some in the NBA. Um, we've seen a lot of international players come over in the past and produce. Right. I mean, look at what Dirk has done. Um, I can take a step back. Deadlift Shrimp, you know, Dikembe Mutombo, Hakeem Olajuwon. We've seen a lot Porzingis. of international yeah. Right, and even Christoph Porzingis in the in the new crop. Mostly, and then- big,
2: mostly big men, though. Mostly big men, though. Like, mo- like more, yeah. more so, I think, the big men. Like we like you said, like Rob said, like it's not as been as many guards doing it. Like the last guard was, I think, what um was Exum, and he didn't really pan out to what everybody thought he was. Stroder too, in a sense. So I mean, mostly the big men have produced. But like you said, if if Luka Doncic is coming over, like I will take him because, like Rob said, it's not it's not no it's not no guards in the Euro on the Euro side doing it, doing the things that he's done at that age. So and like Aiden yeah, he's a big man. Yeah, he's young too, but like, like you said, I mean, big man and a euro guard. So I will take a euro guard because he's younger, and he's been playing with already grown men and a little bit more competition than what the college league is giving. So we'll see. Yeah, I he, here's where
0: here's where I would go with, and I and I think DeAndre Ayton's gonna go number one in the draft, and the and the reason I go with him is because my player compared, my player comp for DeAndre Ayton is DeMarcus Cousins. Remember when DeMarcus Cousins came into the league, he was he was looking like a he was already looking like a grown man coming into the league first of all. Right. And to have his skill set already translate into the league as early as it did. I possibly see Deandre and Deandre and doing that. Um he can he can span out to the three point line. Mm, he has enough skill inside the paint and then he's already built like a man child you know with mm-hmm. his with his measures he's 7 feet he's 7 feet tall he weighs 243 pounds he has the wingspan of 7 foot 5 so i don't see i don't see phoenix missing up an opportunity to take deandre in. but i would not be mad if they didn't draft if they did draft i mean if they did draft luka doncic because of the fact that who they hired as their at head their head coach Igor no, Kukoska, yeah, right. right Igor yeah. Kukoska coached Luka Doncic for the for the Slovenian team during the Euro Cup last summer, and that's where we really started to see him, you know, blossom. Because in that tournament, he's playing against NBA caliber guys. I mean, look what he did to Spain against Ricky Rubio and the Gasol brothers. You but, know, he has the skill set to play in the league. It's just whether or not he's going to come in, and I think he will. But the real question relies after those two. What what's the play that's gonna happen there? And and I think from what I've been reading, and Rob, you're a Boston fan, correct me if I'm wrong, Boston is looking to move up in the draft right now.
1: Yeah, so there's been
0: talks about Danny
1: Ainge wanting to move up to get Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba is the seven footer out of Texas with an insane seven foot ten wingspan. Super intellectual guy, very raw talent, but obviously with those measurables, the comparisons to Rudy Gobert come immediately. Uh, I don't know what to do with this. The Celtics, they have an absolute war chest of assets. I don't believe they would trade Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum at this point. There's no point in doing that. But what they do have, so our listeners know, they have a 2019 first-round pick from the Clippers, which is top 14 yeah. protected. They have a 2019 first round pick from Memphis, which is protected one through eight in 2019, one what through six in 2020, doing. and then unprotected in 2021. And then maybe the most valuable asset of them of them all is the 2019 first round Kings pick. That's un that's protected only if it's their first selection. Other than that, it goes to Boston. Plus, they have all their picks upcoming too. So they definitely have the assets to do it. I would be I would. I've started my draft coverage. If the Celtics could get Jaron Jackson Jr., I'm all in. I get the oh, intrigue with Bamba. But I get the intrigue with Bamba, but I like Jaron Jackson more. But with that being said, I, I can't doubt Danny Ainge anymore. Like, what what State, are you going to doubt yeah. him on? He, people are like, oh, he doesn't draft well. Well, he got Tatum and Brown. He picked Rogier at 15. He drafted Tony Allen at the end of the first round. Uh, he, he's always got guys, and, yeah, he's had some misses. Most GMs do. The Tatum trade is just – its he, he's probably pulled off the three best trades in the last 10 years in the league when you consider the, the Brooklyn trade, the Kyrie trade, and now the Tatum trade. So I'm not going to doubt him. I would trust him. But for me personally, where I'm at in my draft prep process, I would – the all four of them trading up just to get Jaron Jackson, not Mohamed Bamba. What are you guys' thoughts on those two guys?
0: I mean, when you look at Jaron Jackson, the, both of the, the one thing that stands out for me for both of those guys is on the defensive end. Uh, Jaron Jackson was a shot-blocking machine for he Michigan the big State. Tennis. He led the Big Ten in shot-blocking. He led the, the Big Ten in shot-blocking last year. And then, of course, you look at Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba, like you said, a seven foot 10 wingspan that is unheard of and he led the big 12 in block shots last year but at the same time the one thing that gets me for both of those guys is they have the offensive upside to maybe produce in the nba for years to come um if it was me i'm taking i'm taking mo bamba ahead of jaron jackson only because of his only because of his offensive upside Mo Bamba's offensive game is way more advanced than Jaron Jackson's coming into it. Everyone's wondering about Jaron Jackson's release. How's that going to translate into the NBA? Because it's kind of a slow slingshot-like release. And at yeah. least with Mo Bamba, Mo Bamba is, is a Rudy Gobert, you know, Tyson Chandler type, type player. So he's going to be crucial inside the paint when it comes to rebounding and also finishing at the basket. Um, he might not have the athleticism that Jaron Jackson has, but if it was up to me, I would take Bomba in this sense. And only because his defense is amazing to me.
2: Yeah, me, I'm a uh yeah, I think I'll take even though I love Michigan State, I, I have to say I would take um Bomba too, also because he showed a little more a little more um post offense, a lot more than Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson was more so a stretch maybe in the sense of a Chris Bosch to me, kind of like with Michigan State. He led the team in blocking also. But with that shot, like Danny said, that slingshot release, it's like it would be hard for him to get his shot off with other with other big men involved. So, for me, I would take Mo Bamba too.
1: Yeah, and I think an interesting aspect of that, whether they take either of those prospects, is that they get to kind of be mentored by Al Orford who is as polished as a center as there is. Uh, The guy can move his feet. The guy can shoot threes. People say he doesn't score. That's fine. They're not going to need him to score in the the lineups that they're going to be putting out next year. And for either of them to have the ability to sit behind Al Horford and kind of learn from one of the real professionals we have in the league, I think that's invaluable. And I think not even to be biased, just the Al Horford effect could really – like help one of their careers way more than the other where I like Jackson more than Bamba, but if Bomba goes to Boston and he gets like the tutoring of Al Horford, I could see Bomba being better than Jackson and vice versa. So what do you guys think right. of like Horford as the mentor there?
0: That would be huge for those guys. Yeah, Only true. because yeah. Al Horford. One like, of them. Yeah, for either one of them. Like you said, Al yeah. Horford is a He is what you call the cons he's he's consistent in every single aspect of his game. From the time he was winning in Atlanta to the time he was he signed with Boston, he has been consistently, consistency personified. And with his with his IQ of the game, he would mentor those one of those two guys in an exponential fashion to the point where we're talking about you know, them probably one of the better big men in the league in maybe five or five years or so. Depending on where they get where they end up at, so I Al Horvath as a mentor would be huge for the benefit of their development.
2: I agree with that, hundred percent, hundred percent. Is there any a uh, the pros pro? Yeah, I was going to
1: ask you guys uh, with the league relying so much on wings now, and we see the values of guys like. Tatum and Simmons, and even with the older generation of LeBron and Durant dominating, like, it's obviously a wing league. Like, wings are the hardest thing to get, the six seven, six eight, six nine guys, the Paul Georges, people like that. Who's your right. guys', is, like, number one wing coming out? Like, a lot of people like Mikel Bridges and Miles Bridges, um, Michael Porter Jr., who was, like, the number one ranked guy this time last year. I was interested mm-hmm. to see to get your guys' favorite wing coming out.
0: Oh, My,
2: yeah.
0: Mine is, a, here. mine is a go is a no brainer. It's it's Mikael Bridges. I mean, Mikael Bridges is he was he was that Swiss Army knife for Villanova last season. And can you imagine him doing that in the NBA? The last time the last time I made that comparison for a guy like that, Kawhi Leonard was just getting started in the league, and look where he's at right now. So, depending on where Mikael Bridges goes, he can do it all for a team. I mean, he has the measurables. He's a he's a good three point shooter. His defense is outstanding. Um, the only thing he'll probably get, don't find he'll probably need to improve on is maybe ball handling and um, you know, getting his body up and getting a little bit more stronger. But in in that sense, I don't see how you could not overlook Mikael Bridges.
2: Me, I want, my, I like Miles Bridges, just cause, like, like I said, Michigan State's my team, and just watched him, watching him all year from his freshman year to his sophomore year. He didn't really have a jump, like per se, with the numbers. I think he actually dropped maybe a point or two um, from his freshman year to his sophomore year. But the body, the body size the body frame, and just his natural athletic attributes is what I'll take. Like he had a lot of highlights, like a lot of explosiveness. His three is. His three is sufficient, maybe needs a little bit of more work, a little bit more consistency, but shooting what I think it was thirty seven percent last year from um from deep. His dribble needs a little bit of more work, but so he's not gonna be that shot created like a Tatum or like a Kawhi maybe coming out, but I think maybe with the work with the summer work far far, far as being in the NBA getting that extra rep in or two, I think he'll be one of the great one of the one of the best. Wings coming out for this draft. Michael Porter Jr., too, but that injury kind of like set me back with him. So Miles Bridges and Mikael Bridges, actually. So I think both of them are do I. Right. I will take Miles Bridges over, though.
1: Yeah, and I think the back injury, that's like the thing. Like backs, like especially with bigger guys, backs and feet injury or foot injuries are always right. seen as like a bigger red flag. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. I was actually having a conversation with Mark Wallen who's a writer on our staff. And we were talking about Mitchell and Tatum this year on how specifically with Tatum and then a little bit later on with, with uh, Mitchell where Tatum did not have the off the dribble game. Like I went, I went to summer league last year. I watched all the games, like somewhere around March, like Jason Tatum figured out how to take guys off the dribble and was just confident and he couldn't finish at the rim early in the year. And then all of a sudden, bam, it happened. Like, Around the same time frame, February, March, he figured it out, and Mitchell was the same way, where he was very reckless in summer league, he was kind of reckless in the beginning of the year, and then he just figured it out, so it'll be interesting, with both those guys that you guys mentioned, if they can make leaps within their games during the NBA regular season, and Mark and I were talking, we haven't really seen guys do that, like Mitchell and Tatum, but we're kind of at a point in the league where we're getting to a new generation, a generation that. You know, we call it the LeBron James generation, the LeBron James effect, where everyone just wants to work really hard and get better and just keep improving their games. So I think that aspect of both of the guys that you mentioned could be huge where they don't have that now, but if they develop that within two or three years or hell, even year one like Tatum and the Mitchell did, they could be pretty special.
0: That much I'm definitely in agreement with. And you brought up a good point. This is this is officially become a guard in a wing driven league at this point. And the big thing that most teams need to have, and you have to make sure you have, is a point guard. And I don't know how you guys feel. I'm 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 tossed between the two. Who would you rather have a point guard coming out this year? You got guys like Trey Young, uh, Colin Sexton, and I believe there was there's a other litany of other point guards coming out. You know, Shy Shyglajius Alexander out of Kentucky. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad curious. you went for that
1: pronunciation.
0: Hey, I I try. I'm, this this is a guy
2: who's. Yeah, guy, George Alexander yeah. Alexander. I was Alexander. worried about okay. having to say that name.
0: Hey, I've been <laughs> look. I've been worried about saying a lot of names. So when I whenever yeah. I get a chance to say somebody's name correctly, I give myself with a pat on the back because somebody was looking at me talking about how the hell I pronounced Giannis Antetokounmpo's uh, last name and even spelt it for the person. I'm gonna give myself credit, but I mean, I, I have to. But getting back to the question, who would you rather have at point guard coming out of this draft this year? Because if it was up to me, I love Trey Young's game. I love what he translates into. I want Colin Sexton, that pit bull out of Alabama. Plain and simple. Yeah.
2: Tim, you want to go first on this one? Uh, yeah. Um uh i think i'll take i'll take gilger's alexander i think and the reason Ooh. why is be, because is because with me i think it's the body frame like what he's, i think he's like six what six 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 seven if yeah six 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 seven let me look yeah six 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 seven i think so yeah he's six six okay six six yeah so like what's the what the bigger like the I think the league now is like if you're not if you're not coming into the draft as a Trey Young like or like or as a uh, Colin Saxon to so where you are like you we can see the floor general in you like it's it's really not you're not really to me you're not really gonna last too long in the league at the point guard because like you said it's either it's either you're a great point guard that can shoot. You're a floor general with speed or or you're just the oversized point guard that you can demand that you can play bully ball with a couple of the smaller guards that are already in the league. So with me, I think Gildas Alexander would with his shot, he didn't have like a proven shot, proven mid range or nothing, but just his just his size where he was able easily get into the basket. Couple um couple flashes where he was taking a nice explosiveness off the first step, but to me, I think just his size, just his size, has got me where I would want. I will, I would take him first. The first, be the first point guard. I maybe, cause you know Trey Young, he's gonna get picked. Maybe be the first point guard just off his scoring wise. But I just want a taller point guard, bigger point guard. The way that the way the league is going, especially depending on what side you're going to, the East or the West. So with me, I'll take George Alexander. Yeah, so for me it's tough. So Trey
1: Young has the elite shooting ability, and as you mentioned, Danny, I love the dog and Colin Sexton. I always lean towards the defensive-minded kind of, you know, junkyard dog kind of guards. I, I love those guys, but I kind of agree with Tim here for for one of these reasons. I think Colin Sexton probably has the highest floor of anyone. Like his worst outcome is probably better than everyone else's. Trey Young, I i have watching these last two rounds of basketball and seeing how the NBA has literally changed to hunt down your weakest defender in the playoffs, and we are just going right. to exploit it. They are going to kill Trey Young. Like if if he's on a good playoff team, they're going to run pick and roll with his guy and kill him. And to Tim's yep. point, Shay Gilgis Alexander, he's six six with a seven foot wingspan. His biggest knock, in my opinion, is that he's 180 pounds, so he has to put some he has to put some weight on the frame but right. his ceiling could be a lot higher because a, like a guy that can play the one at six, six, seven foot wingspan, and if he gets a little bit more meat on his bones, he yeah. could potentially switch one through three, one through four. And this is, this is my point when I talk about the draft and that people should always think about the point of the draft is to get players to help your team contend at the highest level. Cause that's what it's all about, right? It's, it's about winning championships. That's why these teams play. That's why they draft players. No doubt. And so no doubt. the, the last, the last two rounds has showed me you cannot like Terry Rogier is actually a really good defender, but guess what? He's six foot one, like one hundred and eighty five pounds, soaking wet, and LeBron James has mm-hmm. dominated him in the post. So there is an outcome where Shea Gilgis Alexander develops a frame where, yeah, I think he's a pretty good. I think he's an all right ball handler. I think his offensive game obviously has to be developed, but mm-hmm. if he hits his peak ceiling, you're talking about a guy that can be your number one. Not a defensive sieve, has the size and athleticism. So I kind of agree with Tim there, where I think Sexton has the lowest floor. Trey Young is probably the most intriguing, but if I'm trying to get the best guard in the draft, I'm going to go with Shea.
0: And I I I agree. I I see both you guys' points. Here's my here's my here's my output on things. When I look at Trey Young. I'm, I'm with you, Rob. His defense is suspect to the, to the highest degree. He's going to get exposed in the NBA, like you said, in pick and roll situations. And even in, in certain man-to-man situations where he has to guard a guy one-on-one. I mean, you look at Shea, Shea Gilders-Alexander and Colin Sexton, those two, the main thing they got over him is their defensive mentality is unreal. I mean Shay got Shay Gillis Gillis can guard maybe like you say he could possibly go one through four once he puts some some more some more uh, body mass on himself and then Colin Sexton is he's he's to me is what Patrick Beverly is in the NBA but with a scores mentality to go along with it Colin Sexton is is just ready to just go from the time the ball is tipped to the time the game is over. Um, he might need to work on his three-point shooting just a little bit, but I like his I like his defensive mentality. I like his his basketball IQ and I like his motor. And I'm with you. I'm always going for a guy who can defend like no other. And the fact that he's probably he part out of out of the three top point guards we were just talking about, Colin Sexton looks to me is like you said, he's the guy with the highest ceiling who can go get whatever he wants and become a Standard point guard in the NBA, um, you know, most people might look at his size and be like, know, right, he might not hold up." But there are a lot of there are a lot of point guards in the league who are six one who are holding up just fine in the NBA. And I don't see anything different with Colin Sexton coming out of the draft this year. So if you ask me, I would I would take Colin Sexton over the over of the three, and that's only because of his defensive motor and the fact that he's also a score force point a score first point guard. Who can go defend the uh other team's best point guard and maybe other teams best two guard in the NBA? I see him doing that to a high degree next year. Um but the only the other thing I want to get into is, and I'm glad we put up the point guard conversation. Who do you think is your sleeper in this year's draft?
1: Hmm. Tim, you want to go first on this one?
2: <laughs> um uh uh, Hard, isn't it? My sleeper, yeah. the uh, um Actually, no, nah, it's not. Actually, it's not. Uh, did, did Did Duvall stay into the draft? Yeah. Trayvon Duvall for Duke. Did he stay? Did he keep his name? Nice. Right? I, I think so.
0: I think so. I'm not sure. I have to check. We have to second check that. But I think
2: he okay. did. Just off the top of my head, because I know him, and it was another guy that actually. Um, that I actually like that, um, who was it? It was, um, ah, uh, I cannot think of who. The guy from Texas, um, um, uh, Roach, I think yeah. that's his last name.
0: Roach that's has gone right. back
2: to Texas. He went back to Texas?
0: Herman Roach uh, went back to Texas. He's going back for one more year.
2: Okay, well, then so, i uh, uh, I was going to let you think for a little bit. Okay, go ahead, no, no, go ahead, do your thing. Go ahead, go ahead, do your thing, because I do want to think, so go ahead, right. do your thing. All right,
1: cool. So uh, the guy I'll take is Jalen Brunson out of Villanova, and this is my reasoning why. Uh, Last year, I liked Josh Hart a lot coming out, and when you're saying, like, a sleeper point guard, like, obviously it's going to be mid to late first round, early second round, Mm -hmm. and I see Brunson a lot in the way I see a guy like Frank Mason Jr., where, you know what, if he's your starting point guard, it's not good, but if he's your third or fourth guard off the bench, that's really good, and there's real value in the league right now in having good secondary playmakers off the bench. You know, guys like Sean Livingston or Marcus Smart, just just a guy like Will Barton in Denver. So, mm-hmm. and, I like, I love Frank Mason coming out. I wound up seeing him in summer league. He was like a metronome. You know, he was never great at anything, but he was steady. He knew the right – you know, he knew, he knew what plays to call – he was in the right spots defensively. And I feel like Jalen Brunson's a little similar where it's like, all right, so you have this older guard coming out. What is he? Well, he's not your one or two, but guess, guess what? No one's drafting their first or second best point or guard at all in the first, you know, in, in any pick after 15. So it's really valuable in the NBA with the way the contracts are constructed to get rotational players basically at any pick after 15, because you control these guys for four years. They're on, they're on really low salaries. So I'll take Jalen Brunson just because if you can get a backup point guard that's competent for four years at like two or three million a year, that's worth its weight in gold. So that's my pick. I'll take Brunson. I really think he's going to be a great, you know, first or second guard off the bench. And I think he can contribute to a playoff team in that role. So Tim, I hope I gave you enough time to, Think and come up with your guy, but uh, I'm, gonna, yeah, I I'm think, gonna push the floor I'm, to you.
2: Yeah, I think I um, yeah, I think I found my guy. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna switch and say Anthony Simons or Simmons, however he's pronounced. I think it's yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay, I so, think yeah, it, I um, yeah. Okay, yeah, from um, from IMG Academy. Just because for the simple fact is, like, I I Super feel like you saying he. I, Right, and then he yeah his high, he has a high ceiling his um like and you just said he you you want to you want a point guard that you think is going to go to the the sleeper that's going to be and they got him projected to be in the late first round so I mean just from I haven't seen like too many too many highlights I'm just going off the eye chest, but because it's not like you said Jalen Brunson would be that would be that guard that I would think of but just to pick somebody different I'll take Anthony Simons. So, Danny, who would you?
0: Here's a here's a here's a name for y'all, and um and I'm I'm curious to hear what y'all think about it. Kata Bates Diop, the small forward out of Ohio State.
2: From Ohio State, okay, right? This okay.
0: That guy, and I saw, and I saw him play a lot last season, and he Lucky is I did that too. <laughs> he's that he's that <laughs> yeah, combo. He's that combo guy who can do it all. He can space the floor. He can guard multiple positions on the on the floor for most guys. Um, I had him projected going eighteen to San Antonio, but he might go. He might go seventeen to Milwaukee. It all depends on how the draft rolls out. But this guy can do it all. He can shoot the three. He can play defense. His basketball IQ is through the roof. And I don't see why someone would pass up on a guy like him. Um, you know, he can he can possibly come in and produce for a team right away. Might not be a starter. He could be like your good rotational guy. But it's going to be crazy to see what he looks like once the uh, once the season gets started and when he gets drafted this season. But that's my sleeper pick for this year's draft class because he has. He has it all. He's like that. He's like that glue guy for your franchise that you want to get and get early. Yeah,
1: I like yeah. Kida bates Diop a lot. The big thing about him, he's a little older. He's twenty two years old. He's six seven with a seven foot or seven foot two wingspan. It depends where you get your your uh, sources on that. And <laughs> I've actually, I actually tweeted out I think about a week ago where Kida bates Diop his floor is like a ten year NBA rotational player like the worst he's going to be is like R- Luke Richard and Bamute who's very valuable. So I totally right. agree. I yeah. like him. I love yeah. I love Kateb I think he can sit with most teams. Every team needs a guy like him. He's a little older like I said at 22, a little more so he's going to be a little bit more mature coming in. Not that he reminds me of this person because this person is built like a brick shit house, but he's a little bit like Sonny Ogele was or Jordan Bell was last year or even a Jonah Bolden. Where he's just like a pretty sound wing who's gonna at worst play really good defense and just hopefully make the right decision on offense and like I, I I'll pound this till the cows come home those kind of guys that are that long that tall and then that athletic in this league they're worth a ton so I really like that pick a lot what do you think of uh, Kita Bates Giappe uh, Tim. Amy hey, there?
0: Might be experiencing some uh technical difficulties on his side. Tim, you still there?
2: Yeah, 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 my fault. The um the headphones said one. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, um basically I don't really see I don't really disagree with anything um that you two guys have said like like I said I like Michigan State mm-hmm. and I have watched them play for the last 3 or 4 seasons, so like his his frame, his frame yeah like you said, his frame and wingspan is great. And it wouldn't be any team in the league that couldn't use, like you said, like a guy like him. like He can give you anything that you really want coming from the one. He can guard the one, I think, the one to the three. And with his size, if he wanted to try, the four also. So I don't disagree with anything you guys said. If somebody was to take Diop, I don't think they'll miss out on anything. Like, they wouldn't miss anything. It would be a great pick for me.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that because just just because of what he brings to the table, um, you know, I see that happening, and I see that, and and I and I don't see really any really bad picks in this year's draft class. I think this is another stacked talented draft class that we've seen for, you know, this would be two straight years we've had a stacked draft class coming out of college. Um, I'm just curious to see which which guys and where they're going to go and how they're going to perform. So it's it's going to be great to see, but. We're gonna wrap it up here with that one. That was a good talk, you guys. Rob, I wanna thank you for coming on and being yeah, a part no of this basketball no conversation. You know, any other time you want to link up, we will definitely
2: be glad more to have I you back me. on the yeah, show. More
0: than yeah,
1: guys, I really appreciate you guys having me on and likewise we'll have to get you on a, a couple of our podcasts too. It's really really fun to just talk hoops with guys that, you know, Watch the league, love the league, know what they're talking about. It's, it's always, it's always good fun to have a good basketball conversation.
0: No yeah, doubt, never, never
2: no have doubt. enough. Too much good basketball conversation.
0: Never enough. No, <laughs> no doubt. And before we, before we get out of here, I want to send you know condolences um, out to two families. Uh, the first being James Hampton, Tim. You should be noticed. This is close to you. Um, I don't know yeah, if y'all heard. Yeah. He passed. A, he yeah. passed away over the weekend, passing out on the basketball court. Um, yeah. It's really Fair sad it next to see Friday,
2: it. Right. Yeah.
0: Yes. It's sad it's sad to see a good a young talented ball player like that pass away like that. And I also wanna send a big condolences out to the, the the family of Cliff Tucker. He just passed away a couple of days ago. He was that he was that good uh shooter coming out of the University of Maryland for those for those Gary Williams teams before Gary Williams was let go. So lost a two 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 critical losses in the basketball family. I just want to send out some big time condolences to the families of Cliff Tucker and James Hampton. Yeah, um, may they love, both rest. Man. May they both may they both rest in peace. And uh, that's that's that was that was that was critical to hear about that. So hopefully their families are okay. There's we're sending, their, sending them their well wishes. But uh, yeah, we're going yeah, yeah. we to get on here on that note. For Tim and Rob of the 5x5 Network, this is Danny signing off, guys. you take it easy.
2: All right, you too, bro. Peace. Take it easy, man.